Hey, hey, everybody. If you're listening to this, you are listening to the first free hour of this episode of The Shift with Doug McKenty. If you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing to the show in order to access the full feature-length versions of the podcast, as well as have access to the Members Forum, where we discuss potential topics and interviews and dive deep into the overall concept of The Shift. For only six bucks a month, not only do you get the full-length episodes, but also an opportunity to co-create with me, your host, Doug McKenty, the future of the show. Go to www.theshiftnow.com or patreon.com backslash the shift and sign up today in order to help make the shift possible. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Morning, noon, or night, wherever and whenever you are listening, you are listening to The Shift. I am your host. My name is Doug McKinty. This episode was recorded on October 30th, 2020. My guest on the program today is constitutional activist and two-term sheriff of Graham County, Arizona, Richard Mack. He is now the founder and current spokesperson for the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. In 1994, Mack and six other sheriffs sued the federal government over its ability to impose the enforcement of the Brady Bill by county sheriffs across the United States. Not only did the Brady Bill require constitutionally suspect restrictions to firearm ownership, it also required local constabularies to pay for costly background checks. Eventually, this lawsuit made it to the U.S. Supreme Court, where a 5-4 decision was made in their favor based on the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution which provides states' rights and prevents federal overreach. Ultimately, this decision provides a precedent which allows local sheriffs the power of enforcement. While governments create the laws, it is the local sheriff that decides how they are enforced. This provides a wide latitude for this locally elected official to interpret not only the laws, but weigh those laws against the oath taken to uphold the Constitution of the United States. If the law conflicts with the Constitution, A sheriff has the power, as well as the obligation, not to enforce. As a result of the work of Sheriff Mack and others, Americans who are disgruntled about potentially unconstitutional state and federal laws can appeal to this locally elected official for redress. The Supreme Court decision is especially important to understand during this time of extreme government overreach. Many state governments have declared a state of emergency and imposed economic lockdowns using near-dictatorial powers based upon the perceived threat of a novel coronavirus. Though some have attempted to curb those powers using the courts, this approach takes months while many have been forced into poverty and tens of millions are on the verge of eviction. Richard Mack shows us there is a better way. Please inform your local sheriff about the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officer Association and let them know the true power of their office. Find out more at cspoa.org. You can find out more about The Shift with Doug McKenty on Facebook and YouTube. I'm on Twitter at McKenty and on the web at www.theshiftnow.com. If you like what you're hearing, please like, subscribe, and share on whatever social media platform you're on. In the age of shadow banning, this podcast relies on listeners like you for distribution of this information. Without taking any more time, I'd like to thank Sheriff Richard Mack for agreeing to this interview. And thank you for helping to make the shift. And hello, everybody. Welcome to this. This is the 58th episode of The Shift. I'm joined today by Sheriff Mack of uh, 
the constitutional uh, what is the name of your organization i i should have it on the tip of my tongue but that's okay it's it's a little bit confusing cspoa constitutional sheriffs and peace officers association right right and he he's been doing work now for quite some time about uh, empowering the local sheriff to be able to make decisions as to what laws get enforced and what don't get enforced and uh, a lot of the work that he's done including the supreme court taking a taking a case all the way to the Supreme Court to ensure that localities do have sovereignty in this way. Um, I wanted to have him on actually to talk about Corona because we've got the lockdown situation going on and I'm trying to inform my audience as to some potential solutions to this madness. But um, we also have, of course, the whole BLM thing going on, which directly correlates to your particular area of expertise. So I wanted to talk to you about that as well. Um, just well, for yeah, I, uh, I I've got a lot to say about the coronavirus shutdown, and I believe that we do have legitimate, lawful, peaceful solutions to it. Uh huh. I mean, that's just the key. I'm trying to get people informed as to solutions. I've done some interviews here lately uh, with some Canadian activists that are working on putting together protests, and and a Canadian lawyer that's uh, suing the the government up that way. But here in the United States, it seems like. Getting the um, the opposition organized and and moving <laughs> has been pretty slow going. So it's good to see people like yourself that are proactive. And of course, you've been uh, active with this angle for a long time with a number of different issues. So do you want to just start off with uh, take a few minutes and describe yourself to my audience and and uh, a little bit about your history in your own words? Okay, thank you. Uh, well, I really appreciate being on, and thanks so much for having me. And I I've done literally thousands of interviews in the last 25 years. It all stemmed from uh, being sheriff of Granny, Arizona. Uh, that's the only job I really ever wanted. Uh, I, I wanted that job and anything that, uh, it, more than any other job I've ever had, uh, it was a dream come true being sheriff in hometown where my father had also served an FBI agent. Mm -hmm. And uh, I loved being home. Uh, but the people only kept me for eight years. I lost my third term. And it's due to my what I consider my strength, and that is my dedicated constitution. And so uh, while I was sheriff, I sued the Clinton administration uh, uh, regarding the overreach of the federal government. And I won a case at the United States Supreme Court, along with Sheriff Prince from Montana. And it was the only time in American history where a couple of sheriffs sued the federal government and, and won a landmark decision. And uh, this and was this was concerning the Brady Bill, correct? The, correct. the gun the gun and, laws. And the and the Brady Bill was the first time in in history too where Congress and the president promulgated legislation. And I'm not gonna call it a law because the Declaration of Independence calls such statutes. Uh, they call it uh, pretend legislation. Uh, and so this piece of pretend legislation had no validity in, in the Constitution whatsoever. And it literally, that's what I say, this is a first. It literally attempted to commandeer the office of sheriff for federal bidding without any negotiation with us, without any contract or agreement uh, whatsoever from the sheriffs. And and then it went, it doubled down and said, it threatened to arrest us if we failed to comply. And most people think I'm making that up. Mm -hmm. But if you look in the Brady Bill and you look in uh, a, a little tiny booklet, pocket-sized booklet I made of a review of the case, I actually put that in there 
where the threat of arrest is in there. And we were faced with a $10,000 fine or one year in prison or both. And, and then Janet Reno tried to soften that later says, oh, we weren't, we weren't talking about the Cleos or the sheriffs in that particular case. We were talking about the federal firearm licensee. In other words, the gun shop owner. And so, no, it, it didn't make that distinction. She tried to do it later. And the judge told her, you don't get to change the law after Congress passes it uh, by writing a memo. And so we actually got an injunction against the federal government from arresting me while we were still in court. Wow. Will you talk a little bit about uh, then how that court case came around? Because I, as I was doing research for this, I you quote uh, Justice Scalia, who who wrote the uh, the final decision on that one, and some of those. It, it was really interesting. The concept that, uh, despite, and you also quoted, I think, the original judge. I heard I heard you talk about the original judge in, in the original case before it went kind of up the ladder, talking about that that it doesn't matter the statistics or or the utilitarian argument when it comes to arguing about um, local sovereignty, the the jurisdictions of the sheriffs, or uh, the constitutional arguments. I mean, you can argue all day that maybe the Brady Bill is a good idea, but the fact of the matter is, according to our system of government, only localities can make decisions about things like this. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm glad you brought that up because Judge John Roll uh, was the first judge to hear this uh, in, in my end of it. And Sheriff Prince had another victory on his end in Montana. But uh, Sheriff Roll actually went further in his description of how the federal government exceeded their authority on this than any other judge, regardless of who we're talking about at what level. The Supreme Court, he was stronger than their decision. Uh, Scalia, actually, you know, he did some things, too, that were pretty amazing uh, on this case, quoting some other uh, prior cases and quoting some other uh, judges on these types of issues. So I can't say that that Roll actually beat Scalia, but in, in the first round, Judge Roll was definitely the best judge. And, and w- when I was on the stand uh, testifying, the, the attorney for the federal government was kind of, uh, well, it looked like she was under orders to get the statistics out about the uh, efficacy of the the Brady Bill. And so she was literally questioning me, and she stopped questioning me and started testifying herself. And I thought my my attorney would have been all over objecting to what she was doing, but he paused. He he was really smart because I was looking at him like, I mean, how do I tell him to object when I'm already on the stand? You know, right. it was a, I was in a I was in a tough spot and I couldn't do it. I was giving him this look, you know, and motioning with my lips, you know, to why are you doing it? But he was really smart. He gave her enough rope to hang herself. And uh, Judge Roll uh, said, um, Counselor, do not try to pretend in this courtroom that your statistical analysis somehow equates to constitutionality. Mm-hmm. And that that should be applied on every one of our freedoms and liberties. Uh, For instance, and this is an amazing topic for me because I'm totally against drug abuse of all kinds. I hate drug abuse. Uh, But when we discuss the efficacy of the drug war, law enforcement and other people who want to keep the drug war intact 
and don't want to legalize anything. And there's especially that horrible, crazy drug, marijuana, you know, that's right. ruining our country and ruining our children. Statistical analysis does not equate to lawful authority of to implement prohibition. Prohibition is one of the stupidest things, one of the, the worst things, counterproductive things that we've ever done in history. And I'm a history teacher, and I want to wonder, I want to ask every American and every cop and, and legislator who believes that prohibition works now, why would you think it works now any better than it did uh, in the 20s and 30s when it was illegal? And there was a constitutional amendment saying that no one could manufacture or distribute alcoholic beverages. How did that work out for us? We finally recognized the horrible mafia, mafiosos that we created, like Al Capone and many others, mm -hmm. and, and the and blood that was saturating the streets of America, especially Chicago. And then we finally found, oh, well, the rate of consumption did not stop. And the, just the same as now, the rate of abuse on drugs has not stopped. It has not gone down. And then we act like we're heroes because we made a drug bust. How ridiculous can we get? Drug abuse has not stopped. It has not decreased. We have kept, we now have every Amer American high school where you can get just about any drug you want, any, any day that you want to get it. Mm -hmm. Prisons also have uh, our, our drug-ridden uh, camps for, for doing more drugs. We can't even keep drugs out of our prisons and jails. And so it's the same thing with drugs. Okay, I believe in the Second Amendment. You know why? Because I've studied the history. And the Founding Fathers had a great idea that in order to maintain we the people in the most powerful position of if we ever have to have an evolution, we will be capable of doing so. And that to preserve liberty, it is essential that all Americans keeping and bearing arms. And yet now it will be safer for some unhistoric reason and no factual reason that we're all going to be safer. We just all give up our guns. And, and that, all that statistical analysis does not equate to government having the authority to a single gun control law. If they do anything that infringes my right to keep and bear arms, they are breaking the law. doesn't matter how beneficial the law may be or not be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, it's amazing that you're bringing up the, the drug war because I was going to ask you about this um, because when I think about what's happening, you know, of course, in the news with the Black Lives Matter movement and all the protests going on, we're hearing all this, um, the, the disproportionate police violence against the communities of color. And um, my go-to thing every time is, well, the, the drug war is funding the gangs and the gang violence is perpetuating you know, violence in these communities. And then the police are, I mean, what's your, you know, what's your perspective as a, as a former sheriff in terms of, uh, you know, I imagine that when police are going into a, a, a community where 
there's known to be a lot of gang violence, they're prone to be a little bit more on edge. And to, and then the gangs, of course, are getting funded by the drug war. So I don't see why we can have how we can have any kind of conversation about uh, police violence without also talking about the drug war and the gang violence that's caused by the drug war. And yet, of course, we're not getting a peep, which is frustrating to no end to me. So, you know, what are your thoughts about this? Can you tell me? You know, and tell my audience, like, what is it like for a police officer who's going into a community where, you know, where the gangs are really powerful? I mean, of course, this is this is an issue, right? This is probably isn't. Would you say this is the core of the issue and why yeah. uh, maybe there's more police violence uh, in these communities of color? Well, I, I actually uh, graduated from the FBI Academy and we studied this issue quite a bit during that. And uh, I was so intent on finding out more about uh, gang violence that I asked one of my uh, classmates who was from uh, Washington DC Police Department. And I believe, if I remember right, it was Precinct 7. And that's where you have the most uh, violent, or we had the most violence in, in the United States of America at the time. Mm -hmm. It was the worst city for murder uh, in the entire world. Uh, now Chicago is kind of taking that uh, over. Uh, but it just seems to be moving from one city to another, especially where we have the most uh, gun control uh, in the entire country. Right. Where we have the most gun control, that's where you have the most violence and the most gun violence. So uh, I don't, I just don't uh, get it. Hang on, I'm going to make sure that my phone is off. Sure. So... I, I actually went riding with a cop on a Friday night or a Saturday night. I can't remember. I wanted to go when it was busy. And it was just code three all night long. And you know what code three is. Mm -hmm. That's code the... three. Lights and siren. Okay. And as a matter of fact, I've been an undercover narcotics officer. And if anybody wants to Google that, just look up Sheriff Mac undercover photo. It, yes, that really is me with the afro and beard. <laughs> Right. You know, and it was an astonishing education for me. But without this, with all of this education of of examining inner city uh, gun violence and the murders that happened that happened there, the common equation, the common denominator is always the drug war. Mm -hmm. And the drug war has been a huge failure. And I'm going to tell that to everybody. I don't care. You give me any legislator who think it's a good idea. I am not asking you if we're against drug abuse or drug trafficking. I'm asking you if what we have been doing is working. And anybody who's telling me that this drug war has been effective and working, then I've got to tell them you either are from Mars or you're a liar. Yeah. Because this has not been working. We have kept drugs out of no schools. We've stopped nobody from using drugs. We've stopped nobody from distributing. Oh, we've made all these arrests. They just fill that spot with somebody else's buddy. Right. Nobody has stopped dealing drugs. And the, and, and the prisons and, are getting filled at the same time. So many oh, people in prisons, also people of color. So this is a major issue for these communities. Of course, you can see why they're upset. But, you know, it seems like the solutions we should be talking about is ending the drug war. Yeah. Yeah. The, you see, and that's the other problem. That's exactly my next point is drug is prison reform. Because, yes, you're absolutely correct. It's a shame that America is leading the world per capita uh, in, uh, in prison population. Mm -hmm. and, and that's absolutely absurd. 
And the, the money-making thing that our prisons are, that's that's another topic for all of this. Right. But the drug war has been a huge failure because you can go to any of those prisons and get anything you want. And, and this is just a, an absolute shame. And it's still, uh, I, think it, I think prohibition is criminal. You're absolutely establishing a black market. So let's take responsibility for the results of our own legislation. We are the ones who created the cartels. We are the ones who created Al Capone, the Kennedy family, and many others who made millions, if not billions, especially to compare to today's dollars, mm-hmm. in uh, bootlegging uh, alcohol and the speakeasies and everything else associated with it. And, and I don't drink, and I hope nobody drinks. But how stupid would it be if we made cigarettes and alcohol uh, beverages, alcoholic beverages, illegal today? Uh, and, and people say, well, I can understand us not doing that. Then why are we doing cocaine, marijuana, PCP, meth, or any of them? Why do we think we have the authority to do that to anyone and, and haul them off to jail, take away their homes, take away their bank accounts, and, and, and go after them with asset forfeiture, which is another crime uh, right. associated with the drug war? And the bottom line with all of this, I'll just wrap all this whole thing up with this. The drug war in the world, and especially America, where we have 4% of the world's population, but we use 60% of the world's illicit drugs. Mm -hmm. That has been, in and of itself, just look at our prisons and look at our inner cities and look what the results are. The drug war has been a huge failure. And we in law enforcement and in uh, government need to be honest enough to admit that. Yeah, you know, I wasn't really planning on going here, but I now that we're talking about it, my uh, our, here in my community, our local sheriff has been really becoming more and more adamant about trying to deal more appropriately with psychological problems because he's finding that when our community is not dealing with psychological problems and psychological problems, then the blowback the blowback falls back on the sheriff. Yeah. You know, when when somebody's personal problems get out of control. And then it's going to erupt in some kind of violence. And then all of a sudden, it's the sheriff that you're calling that's coming to the house that's dealing with a situation that, you know, probably shouldn't have gone that far. Right. Uh, have, what are your feelings about this? Have you seen that as well, that a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, peace officers are involved in situations that maybe it would be more appropriate if we could, if we can understand that the issues are, are psychological issues? Um, and there's been some talk even with this, the recent protests and whatnot of, of trying to do better, uh, in terms of having psychiatric help or facilities for people that could, that could get that kind of help maybe before the situation explodes and requires a, a law enforcement situation. Well, that's certainly uh, a huge part of our job. And, and just to, uh, put those people in prison or people with, uh, mm-hmm. those types of, cr- uh, Criminal behaviors, you know, and and uh, you know, yeah, I've I testified before uh, the Food and Drug Administration in Baltimore, Maryland. I don't know, it's on it's on YouTube, but I think it was about fifteen years ago. And as as a result of my work in law enforcement and as a sheriff, the dangers of the psychotropic drugs, uh, the Zax and uh, Zantax and all of those that are supposed to settle people down, when, and actually they do just the opposite, and a lot of people. And, and I, I don't think we've really addressed that as a nation. Uh, we certainly haven't addressed it very well 
as a law enforcement community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm still I'm still really concerned. And and let me take that back to the violence that you mentioned earlier uh, in our inner cities, and uh, because that certainly is part of it. And and I'm I'm wondering about the the mentality of all of this. Uh, but let me let me make something. I, I, I get the stupidest articles written about me from people who are supposed to be these known, all-known wise men, uh, you know, because they're a college professor and then they want to tell the rest of the world about me and my organization. And they always get into this ridiculous stuff about uh, racism and the sheriff used to be part of the KKK and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and this, I mean, it goes, and these are all people who don't know a damn thing about me, who don't know anything about the purpose of the uh, CSPOA and, and how we feel about violence and, and how we feel about justice. And, and this is, the I think, so uh, key. So this is such, this just speaks to who we are and what we're about. We want freedom and liberty for all people. We want justice for all people. We absolutely abhor the violence that is being supported at a, at, by politicians in this country mm-hmm. and that, that 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 we that we in this country the people think that violence could help in any way and i totally support martin luther king's philosophy of nonviolent peaceful protests and civil disobedience i totally believe in rosa parks who uh, taught us all what any cop should do with someone committing an act of civil disobedience in disobeying an unjust law. And Martin Luther King told us that none of us have a duty to obey an unjust law. As a matter of fact, he said, we all have an obligation to disobey unjust laws. And that's where you kind of brought that up uh, when you introduced me. We should all disobey unjust laws, and no peace officer or sheriff in this country should be advocating the enforcement of a stupid law, something that is totally unconstitutional and totally unjust. People will respect us if we if we put liberty first and not statutes that enslave the American people mm-hmm. or do harm to them and, and to the community. And and the the easy one on that is is gun gun control laws, but there's a lot of other ones. How is it that two peace officers who swore an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution arrested Rosa Parks for not giving her seat to a white man? And so I ask cops today: Do you know enough about the Constitution, and do you know enough about our our government being based on the notion that all men are created equal? Do you know enough about that? That if you were called back in time to Montgomery, Alabama, December 1st, 1955, that you would not have arrested her that day? Well, then why are you doing it today? Yeah. It's it's amazing. You know, I was I was uh, listening to a, a number of your other interviews and uh, checking out your website just in preparation for this. And what you were saying it reminded me so much of my of my local sheriff. It's just kind of a practical um you know, I think you end up when you're from from my conversations with law enforcement, you end up with a very practical uh, understanding of what you need to do to keep the peace in your community. And then 
it often gets branded and pigeonholed as this conservative point of view, especially for yourself, who's come out very strongly for this constitutional perspective and this this state's rights uh, perspective or even or even county rights perspective. Um, But nonetheless, when I hear you talking like you were telling the story uh, about because I you know, you have a great respect for people's individual rights. I mean, this is the function of of the police officer to protect people's individual rights. You were telling the story about the Earth First protesters. And even, you know, because when we're talking about the current BLM protesters, that these people have a right to protest and you fully recognize that. I mean, do you want to you want to get into that? I mean, even when people yeah, disagree sure. with you yeah, politically, absolutely. right, you're you're there to protect their their right to protest. I mean, that's right. Yeah, like uh, you could actually see that video of me when I was really quite young uh, back in, I think, like 1995, mm-hmm. where I'm on Mount Graham in Graham County. And uh, the Earth Firsters uh, and the Sierra Club called it what go- was going on in our county, the number one environmental concern world, where we were building telescopes. We, I say we, the Vatican and the University of Arizona. And I still don't understand why the Vatican wants to own telescopes. But anyway, the Vatican telescope was the first one to go up on our mountain. And University of Arizona was building a couple also. I think there's three or four now, maybe more. And it's at the top of the mountain, and it's a great place to to be at, you know, uh, almost 11,100 feet uh, and to put uh, telescopes up there because there's just small towns nearby, and none of them have enough bright lights to get in the way of the telescopic uh, view of the uh, heavens. So uh, so anyway, uh, the Earth Firsters came in, and all these hippies came in. And uh, believe me, I didn't really care for them. There were a couple of that, you know, I got along with, uh, and I had a lot of powwows with them. But these are a bunch of hippies, uh, uh, probably a bunch of potheads, uh, you know. But I still totally respected their right to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not a fence. Uh, our county is not a prison. Anybody can come in and visit. There's hot wells. You can come in and soak in natural hot springs. A lot of people do that. I do that. My wife and I really enjoy the hot springs in our community. And so, uh, but I'm telling you, um, I put my life on the line uh, and my reputation as a peace officer there because a lot of the other police there did not support me. Even some of my own deputies did not support me in uh, having talks with the protesters. Uh, they wanted them all, you know, all the other agencies involved. They brought their attack dogs and they brought their mace and they brought uh, all their weaponry to go after these people. Uh, and these were all peaceful protests. Mm-hmm. And there's just no way I was going to have any of that. And see, that's part of the reason why now, you know, I get so upset when people try to accuse me of being a domestic terrorist. Right. Uh, I mean, the Southern Poverty Law Center has done stupid stuff like that. And yet I have I have put my life and career on the line to protect peaceful protesters who I don't like, who I don't agree with. But and a lot of people got after me in the community. And I said, look, I'm trying to be honest with every person involved in this process. We are protecting the property where they're building the telescopes. I didn't have really an opinion about whether the telescopes were good, but these the bad. And the University of Arizona got all their permits, all the work, and uh, they had a right to have these telescopes, uh, as far as I could tell. And so uh, 
I did my job. And right. and you know what? To this day, I can tell you, after 20 years of law enforcement, I never slugged, beat, maced, or committed acts of violence towards anyone, arrestees or anyone. I broke up to be but you know, I used to play football and I would just give guys a forearm, you know, and uh, hey, that's it, it stopped. But you know what? There were plenty of opportunities to be violent had I wanted to take advantage of them. I didn't want to take advantage of them. Yeah. And and I am committed to the Constitution and to the uh, natural rights, the individual liberties of every person within my county. If they're outside my county, I'm not responsible for that. But they're my county. I am responsible to maintain their uh, and maintain and protect their God-given rights. And, and that's exactly what I did. And I still think it's a shame that that uh, I lost my job over that a little bit. And, and it was it was about that a little bit. And also that I was spending so much time on the Brady Bill lawsuit. People got upset about that. Oh, we just want him to be sheriff. We don't want him to be an activist. If, if I and, and nobody thought I was going to win, including me. So they were saying, well, he's going to lose anyway. And, and I couldn't disagree with that. But the thing of it was. If I had won after the election instead of vice versa, I think I still would have won uh, and kept my job as sheriff, which, again, I totally love. Yeah. But, that, but you know what? Let the consequences fall where they may. Uh, I do know is I kept my word, I kept my oath, and I stood for the Constitution for everyone, even people who I didn't know and even people I didn't. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, certainly from my point of view, it was well worth it. And thank you for your sacrifice, because that uh, that precedent and that Supreme Court case gives a lot of leverage to local communities that most of them really don't even understand that they have. Um, I would I uh, wish they would all read the decision. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and I'd like I mean, do you have advice for for what people can do? I mean, they need to go to the website. But I mean, if you approaching your local sheriff with some of these ideas, I mean, I th I'm trying to organize a handful of people in my community to go to our sheriff because, you know, we're starting to get fed. I mean, in California here, the lockdown thing is it, it's well, almost let's address that so over the top. Okay. Yeah, I'm fed up. I'm fed up with Orange County. I'm fed up with Anaheim along with the dictator governor. You know what? I love Disneyland. Yeah. Uh, don't give me the political background of Disneyland. Disneyland is a place to take my grandkids and my family and go forget about all the other world and live in a fantasy world and just have fun for a couple of days. I don't like the politics of, in fact, Disney was a big supporter of, of BLM and, and donated bunches. Uh, you know what? I don't get into that. They can donate to whoever they want. I will continue to fight against all violence and 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 protest the protesters. As long as they're peaceful, uh, they've got my support. If they're not peaceful, then they don't. Mm -hmm. But let's see what can California do. What could so so the governor is a dictator to where he tells Anaheim and Orange County, there's nothing you can do about this. I'm telling you. Disneyland will stay closed. As far as I'm concerned, Newsom will be the, the the governor who destroyed Disneyland and the other theme parks in the Anaheim and Orange County area. He has been horrible. He's just another Hitler. He's really good at looking, nice looking man, but he is so far out of his exceeding his authority. He is a dictator. 
wanted to appoint himself was one. So do the counties and cities do? They have bowed down to the self-appointed dictator. Why? So mm-hmm. I would tell I would tell the the uh, Anaheim uh, Board of Supervisors and the City Council of Anaheim and or Orange County and Anaheim should be getting together, and they should reopen Disneyland, and the sheriff should be there defending that. Yeah, and he should place all them uh, in front of Newsom and say, if you're not going to help Disneyland reopen, even with all of their uh, requirements to be safe and that they're going to do just like well the republican governor did in uh, uh florida and in fact that governor says we there's a zero chance that we will ever shut down again you know what that's exactly what everybody should be saying we don't shut down with tuberculosis deaths we don't shut down with all the disease and deaths and destruction from alcoholism we don't mm-hmm. shut down of all the cancers caused by cigarettes we don't even make those illegal. We just let people keep doing them. We don't. We have never done this before, and this is ridiculous. What we do as Americans, we deal with it, and we work together to make it better. But we don't shut down, and we don't. Do, you know, when when the food shortages start again, or there's people in line uh, begging for food, is that when they're going to reopen? You know, when are right. you going to decide and realize that we've gone too far? And here, this, this is another one that drives me crazy. This is t- so typical left-wing socialist Democrat. Who they, These people just drive me crazy. So Elizabeth Warren wants to be in the cabinet with Biden if he wins. And here, here Governor Newsom has shut down Disney for seven or eight months now. And Disney was paying all his employees for six months. For six months, almost seven months. And then they're out of money. They've lost billions of dollars. And they had to furlough their employees, lay them off. And now Elizabeth Warren starts criticizing and assailing Disneyland and the staff and the CEO and and, and the people that run Disneyland. She gets mad at at them. Right. Not at the governor for shutting it down and not helping them reopen. But at the at the people who refused to keep paying employees for doing no work. And that was amazing that they did it for six months. See, this is the whole thought process of the left wing and Democrats who want who think it's okay to act like little Hitlers all over the country. And the the sheriff and his posse, whoever else he's, and the chief of police of Anaheim and the and the city council and the Board of Supervisors should be getting together with Disneyland and saying, what do we have to do to help you reopen? Right. And they, how long can people be out of work and expect us to keep paying their unemployment and, and everything else that they need? This is so ridiculous and so idiotic that, that it really begs to the question, where are these people from and what are they really trying to do to us? Let me let me give you another example from here. I'm in Mendocino County, which is Northern California, but we're kind of dealing with the same thing. And our, you know, I mean, actually, this is a very progressive, quote unquote, county. You know, everybody's extremely liberal. Many people are, are kind of happy to go along with with a lot of this. But at some point, you know, for the first couple of months, people were were really gung ho. And then in the last 
probably in the last two months, our county board of supervisors, because of course we have a lot of small businesses that are starting to go out of business. Right. Um, you know, not just Disneyland, but <laughs> you know, a lot of the hair salons and the gyms and the, you know, yeah. and the local restaurants that are starting to go out of business here in our rural county. And the business owners are scrambling to try to figure it out. And so they're going to the board of supervisors. Uh, the county government is actually, I mean, we have a, a couple of small towns with city governments, but the county government is the major government in the area, you know. Right. And so the small business owners are going to the county supervisors and asking them for support. What can we do? How can we open up? And they're getting frustrated because even the statistics from the state are showing that the quote unquote COVID spread isn't happening at a small business, you know, at least not as it's how it's also happening at the Walmarts that are open. So yeah. if Walmart gets to be open, why can't the small business be open? And it's frustrating to the supervisors. And yet when you ask them, when you start to talk to them about standing up to the state, you know, because the state government, of course, is hammering us. We're in code purple and, oh, now we've gone down to red. But if we get one more case positive, <laughs> you know, per week, then we're going to be back into purple. I mean, this is the whole <laughs> The, yeah, it, all the rigmarole we're going through just to try to open up and there's really no opening up going on. But long story short, the supervisors are scared to, to confront the state government and then the funding, of course. And I've heard you talk the about money. This. Yep. The funding oh is always the thing, right? It's yeah. amazing. So the extortion will come into play of uh, between the state and the counties. Yes. Yeah. And I'm telling you right now, when Disneyland opens, Anaheim and Orange County, keep all the taxes there. Do not send them on to the governor. Do not send them to the state. You'll be the richest county in America. Right. <laughs> Reopen and have the taxes stay in your community, and then you send to the state what you think they need or deserve. Yeah. And, and I'm serious about this, too. The sheriffs and chiefs of police in these communities should order the restaurants if, if the state tries to come in and take their license away or their liquor license, and I don't drink, but it, that's up to them. And if they have a liquor license and then the state tries to pull it because they didn't open with the governor's permission, then the city and counties should be issuing a, a license of their own to keep those open. And the sheriff should do, the sheriff could do it on his own. He says, I am by order of this sheriff because of, of the emergency of the economic emergency of this county, I am ordering this business to stay open as it was, including the distribution of alcoholic beverages and uh, all the foods that he had going on before. He can word it however you want. I'll word it for him. If, he, if they want me to word it, I'll word that certificate of license or certificate of orders from the sheriff's office. And mm -hmm. then that sheriff has the guts to stand behind these businesses and tell anybody that comes from the state to go back to Sacramento where they belong. Yeah. I mean, it really boils down to this. Um, well, the notion of jurisdiction, first of all, but then yes. it's also, you know, it really requires that these localities have the backbone to stand up. And I think, you know, what would happen is that we're talking about in this instance, then, well, I'm sure the state would Rather than starting a civil war, the state would sue the, the county governments and then the, it would be in court for a while back and forth bantering mm -hmm. as to whether the, whether the counties have the ability to do this. Um, but because of your precedent, we know that the sheriffs do have the, the ability to do this. So Yeah, they do. 
and, and sheriffs could declare or uh, orders uh, in emergencies, and they could declare martial law and uh, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So I don't think it would go that far either. I don't think that they want to uh, get confrontational physically about any of this. I've seen a lot of times where the badge versus the badge has happened. It happened in San Bernardino County back in 2003, I think it was, and uh, also in some other counties in Nevada and Idaho. Uh, where they were going, that was a federal issue of uh, Bureau, the Bureau of Land Management, the other BLM, the only BLM that should be there. But you know what? Uh, it, it really comes down to what you said. Do they have the courage to mm -hmm. stand for liberty and, and to protect and defend the citizens of their jurisdictions? And, and I'm telling you, everybody who has a business in Anaheim and Orange County has every right to reopen. Should they be careful? Yes, the sheriff and others can can uh, consult with them on that. But like Sheriff Mark Lamb here in Arizona said, we will go check the businesses that have reopened. We'll make sure that they're following uh, the guidelines for, for safety and health. But we're not shutting anybody down. We're not citing anybody in. We're not arresting anybody. And then this is the, this is the kicker. He says, we've got to get back to the Constitution in this country. Mm -hmm. And we better do that before it's too late, because you stay you stay down too long. It makes a comeback almost impossible. Well, there you have it. I think we're going to have to end on that note. I know you're busy. You have another interview to get to. So do you want to just take a second and uh, give out the, the website one more time? And maybe, you know, do you have any advice for people that do want to approach their own local sheriff? I mean, I'm in this situation. I think I'm about to, I feel like I'm going to get done talking to you and I'm going to call my sheriff right now. <laughs> well, well, get together with other people and do it together. But okay. If you, if, you make, if you make 20 calls to the sheriff's office about this, the sheriff will say, man, I'm getting hundreds of calls. Yeah. So, yes, everybody should call. Try to make an appointment with him. You vet your sheriff and say, are you really going to be part of the government that forces us to take a vaccination? What are you going to do? Let people hogtie us in our own homes and force a vaccination into our bodies on a vaccination where we already have test subjects that have died. And, you know, darn well, it's going to about be as effective as any vaccination for the flu has been. And again, you know what? Every year. I choose for myself not to take that vaccination. Right. The swine flu vaccination, I chose not to take that one also. And I never got it. People that got it got it more than people who didn't. But anyway, regardless of those statistical analyses, we have no authority to force people to do this. We can persuade them. We can educate them. We can reason with them. But we cannot force them. And it's not our job to enforce health standards. I don't care if it's alcohol, cigarettes, or the coronavirus. We have no authority to do that. The emergency is over. Let's get back together. Let's open our businesses. And let's be Americans. Let's be California, where it's open to the world to come and visit. And, and everybody can be a member of the CSPOA. If you want this peaceful solution to continue please donate and please become a member at cspoa.org we need you we can't do it without you 
All right. Very good. Sheriff Mack, thanks for coming on the show. And I really want to thank you for the work that you're doing. I, I love this angle uh, of decentralizing power. I think that, you know, no matter what side of the political aisle you're on, I think we all need to start getting on board with this idea of, of solving these problems locally in our own communities and, yep. and making these choices locally instead of just constantly fighting about what we should force everybody to do all over the country or all over the world. And this angle that you've got with the county sheriff and the work that you've done to get that precedent in the Supreme Court makes this avenue possible for Americans to pursue, you know, um, a free society uh, by contacting their local sheriff and by getting uh, him or her on board with with this whole concept of of bringing the power back to the county government. So thanks again. Yep. Right on. You have a great day. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was my conversation with Sheriff Richard Mack. Um, You know, it it was really interesting having this conversation with him because going into it, I knew, you know, he identifies as a conservative Christian and it's such the opposite uh, antipode from... Uh, I guess the the typical progressive, um, and I live in a very progressive community here in Northern California, and it's just there's such a conflict between these two kinds of personalities. And when you're dealing with the left-right para- paradigm, it's frustrating to try to get these two different people even remotely on the same page. I mean, Sheriff Mack mentioned that uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center will call him uh, a domestic terrorist, essentially. Um And I just hope that if you take anything away from this uh, interview, you take away the fact that Sheriff Mack is a really nice guy. We had a great conversation and he really cares about people. Um, I get so much flack from the progressive left within the left-right paradigm about people like this, and especially in the days of Trump, and I think Sheriff Mack would uh, identify himself as a Trump supporter. Um that these people are just racist, fascist, white supremacist, militia member types. Um, Obviously, Sheriff Mack is very pro-Second Amendment, uh, and he tends to get pigeonholed into this very far right-wing description that I just don't think is very accurate. Um, I've seen it building the last four years with the Trump presidency and the mainstream media, And I just don't think it's very accurate. So I hope that you take away from this conversation that uh, there are caring people that that come from an opposite point of view. I thought that our conversation about the Black Lives Matter movement and the the police tendency to disproportionately uh, affect communities of color in a negative way... It was pretty powerful. I mean, he, he fully admitted that it's a serious problem. I was actually surprised that he came out uh, and just flat out said he wants to end the drug war, that it's ridiculous, that it doesn't work, that it's hurting these communities. Uh, he certainly is an advocate for retraining the police to teach them nonviolent methods to deal with communities. And I thought that, uh, you know, these are our rational ideas to deal with the problem. Um and so I hope that this message can get out. He's not, you know, he's not the picture of the right-wing militia type that you get in the mainstream. And I think we should be having a broader conversation. I mean, everything that we've gotten from Black, all of what happened with Black Lives Matter over the summer, and the only thing we're getting is defund the police. We're not having any substantive conversations about um, changing legislation that would alter this 
tendency that's been going on for decades towards the militarization of the police. And, um, you know, Sheriff Mack had some great policy ideas and policy changes that I think we should all be talking about. There's no reason to have this incredible conflict. And as those of you who listen to this show a lot, uh, you'll know that I, I'm just sick and tired of the left-right paradigm. I, I, can't, I, I can't believe how much I'm watching in the mainstream media and how people just are falling for this. Let's, let's hate each other over these differences that aren't nearly as large as we perceive them to be. Of course, I think this is done on purpose. Uh, all of us should be working together to try to end the corruption that I think is obviously endemic in uh, these corporate and government systems. Uh, and the left-right paradigm really serves to divide. So if you're going to take something from this, please take, um, please just uh, you know take his attitude and his caring attitude away from this. I think and understand that um, you know these people that get portrayed in the mainstream in this way, it's just not true. It's not an accurate depiction. Um, and then I, I had him on the show also because, you know, there's so little pushback against the, the, uh, the lockdowns and uh, the mandatory mask wearing. We're not seeing a lot of protests in the United States. And again, when there are protests, they're pigeonholed by the mainstream into this left-right paradigm. And, and it's just the right-wing crazies with guns that are out here, you know, the fascists, the white supremacists that are out here concerned about their constitutional rights. Um, and really, one of the only without mass protests, then the the only other avenue we've had, and there have been a few court cases, one in California here recently, where uh, a couple of representatives sued to get an injunction against Newsom for uh, continuing to issue executive orders months and months after any kind of a state of emergency situation should should apparently you know be over and the legislature and the process, the regular process of living in a democratic republic should continue. Uh, he's continued issuing executive orders about all kinds of things, not just about COVID. Um, certainly uh, an abuse of power, I think, by any objective standard. So, um, but it took them six months. And like I said in the introduction, I mean, it's been more than six months now. And uh, like I said, We've got tens of millions of people now uh, threatened with homelessness, um, hundreds of thousands of businesses closing uh, with no recourse, no way to stand up and say, hey, you know, we got to fight this. But Sheriff Mack has at least one other option. You can go to your local sheriff and say, hey, we elected you. You don't have to enforce any of this. You know, can you just let us live our lives? and take the treatment protocols that we want to take, you know, and deal with this, uh, this presumed virus as, as we see fit as individuals. If we want to shelter in place, we can shelter in place. If we want to go, you know, uh, to the grocery store or whatnot, let the, let the store owners decide the kind of precautions that they want to take. That's called living in a free society. Um, and I have been seeing a lot uh, from the progressive left, unfortunately, where it's started, they're frighteningly starting to um, just roll with this and have no problems with the censorship that's happening and no problems with the businesses that are going out of business. Um, I mean, if if I'm frightened of anyone right now, it's uh, these these people who really believe that they can they can just take control of all of our lives and then it's our responsibility to do what we're told by the state. Um, this is not going to end well. <laughs> 
And so again, you know, just hope that conversation really kind of assuages the fear of these kinds of quote unquote right wing people that, um, that we should be working together, that we should, we, we don't need to be frightened of each other. We all have good ideas. And I think that living in a society where we can all choose to make personal and private healthcare decisions and other types of decisions for ourselves, as long as we're not hurting anybody else, um, you know, this, this should be okay. Uh, and I'm afraid that we're, we're following a path where, um, if we lose, and we are losing, and we have lost a lot of the fundamental freedoms that we used to take for granted here in the United States and, and all over the world, really, uh, with no end in sight in terms of seeing any kind of a bounce back where things like freedom of speech are going to be considered important, the right to worship, uh, the freedom of assembly, um, you know, we have tossed these aside with barely a conversation. Uh, and so I want to thank guys like, like Sheriff Mack who are standing up for this. And that is why I had him on the show. And I hope that, uh, you get a lot of, of, uh, good information from him and feel empowered and feel like you have an opportunity to get some of this information to your local sheriff and say, Hey, you know, you don't have to do this if you don't want to, you don't have to enforce any of this if you don't want to. Uh, and having that locally elected official, that you can actually talk to face to face, uh, that you can make aware that he has the power uh, to stop this uh, is a, is another avenue uh, for fighting what is happening now. And really, there's no end in sight. I think we're going to see more and more surveillance, more and more contact tracing, and potentially, of course, this mandatory vaccination coming down the pike. And again, your local sheriff does not have to enforce any of this stuff. And uh, I hope that uh, you'll take some of this information and you will um, get it in front of your local sheriff, maybe get a few friends together and just at least let him know that he has the option, he or she has the option uh, to just say no. Um, and we can go on with our lives here. So just a, you know, another form of protest that's available. Uh, and I'm glad that Richard came on so he could explain it all to us. So you can find out more uh, about the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association at CSPOA.org. Uh, and you can find all kinds of information there. Uh, and there's um, an information packet that you can give to your local sheriff. So uh, please check that out. And of course, you can find out more about The Shift with Doug McKinty. I am on YouTube and Facebook, now on Parlor and Float, and expanding outwards towards... Uh, the other alternative social media sites with the censorship that's been happening. It's actually a great thing for me because I've always been shadow banned uh, and gotten almost zero distribution off of uh, Facebook uh, or off my YouTube channel or off Twitter. So uh, I've, I'm looking forward to really expanding my horizons and maybe, uh, maybe picking up a larger audience here in the process. So check me out on uh, any of those social media sites. Uh, and of course, always trying to get people to the web at www.theshiftnow.com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at dmckenty. I'm keeping that going. So uh, hopefully I'll see you there and uh, stick around. I'll have another one ready for you next week. I'm having a great conversation between a Dr. Stephanie Seneff and Dr. Judy Mikovits. I'm having both of them on at the same time so we can really take a even deeper dive into this um, viral theory that they've been working on. Uh, just fascinating information. Two of the most intelligent people that I've certainly ever had the pleasure of talking to, so I'm really looking forward to that. So hopefully we'll see you there. 
Okay, everybody. I uh, hope you enjoyed this show, and uh, I'll see you next time. Have a great day. <laughs>